2: Hey guys, it's Sean O'Connell, the managing editor at Cinema Blend and co host of the Real Blend podcast. Here to introduce a special episode of the show where we have director Ed Zwick joining us as a guest. I really want to do more of these because it's when a filmmaker comes around uh, and has a, a new book, a uh, biography, where they're essentially going over their career and it gives us an opportunity to sit down with a filmmaker uh, and discuss some of their biggest hits. And with someone like Zwick, he has worked with some of the best in the business, including a running collaboration with Denzel Washington uh, that includes Glory and Courage Under Fire. Uh, of course, he worked with Tom Cruise on The Last Samurai uh, and the second Jack Reacher film, Jack Reacher Never Go Back, uh, worked on Blood Diamond with Leonardo DiCaprio. But then over the course of his book also talks about coming up through television on the show 30 something uh, and all the lessons that he learned that had led to um. You know, some of the films that he was producer on, like Shakespeare in Love, I can tell you that the chapter on Shakespeare in Love and how close Edzwick got to directing that film with Julia Roberts is worth picking up the book uh, for that alone. The book is actually called uh, Hits flops and other illusions it's available everywhere you get your books met but we had an opportunity because of this book coming out to get ed to come on the Robland podcast and we jumped at it um i do want to mention that i had a couple of technical difficulties at the beginning of this episode and i want to thank jake for for taking the baton and running with it it was he and i who were going to talk to ed Uh, Jake ended up handling it fantastically, as you guys are about to see. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with the director Ed Zwick on behalf of his new book.
3: You know, whenever I speak with people, anyone in the industry who has lived uh, a career similar to what you have, uh, I always sort of say the same thing, which is like, oh my God, you gotta write a book. And I tend to sort of get the same reaction from people, uh, which is, yeah, but I wanna keep working so I can't write the book I would wanna write. So I'm sort of curious, when you get to this point in your career and you wanna write a book like this, obviously you have to flash back to your past, but to what degree do you have to contemplate and consider your future at least in regards to what stories you you can and or want to tell
0: well it's a, it's a fair question um the, the the difference between me and and anybody else asking that question was covid what do you mean well it 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 hit at a time i was just about to do something we got literally shut down um and then i i got covid and i was sitting there for maybe you know a month and forced to sort of look at my life absent that unbelievable focus toward the next thing. And so I began to uh, reflect and then I didn't admit that I was writing a book for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden it appeared that I did um, and I had to acknowledge it. And to tell you the truth, it wasn't at the expense of those things that have been going forward because what I've learned. Is you're always riding more than one horse at a time, not knowing which one's going to actually make it to the to the starting gate, and that's always been true of 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 TV and movies for me. And they've they've just uh, they move at their pace, and some of them have taken a very long time to get there, and some have taken uh, shorter. But the minute I got into the book, I realized that it was a creative endeavor. It wasn't just a a, a self. Um, Uh, uh, a self-glorifying, you know, screed. It was, it was actually an attempt to understand certain things about what I do, what movies are, what movies have become. It even had an agenda for me about younger filmmakers who might read it and what it might mean to them. And so I felt that I was going forward with something not very different in its experience than the making of a movie. It's just I wasn't surrounded by, you know, 200 people all the time. I wanna, we're going to jump around your career because as two film fans, we could ask nerdy questions
3: about your filmography all day long. Um, but I want to talk about Glory because if you were to and, and people have put together a montage of the great Denzel Washington moments, of which there are hundreds of them, uh, I guarantee you, you can put money down that one of them is going to be uh, the tear rolling down his cheek. I have heard stories as to how that moment happened, but I would love to hear the truth from from the horse's mouth and the perspective on those, those little moments, capturing those little moments like that.
0: You know, it, 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 it didn't take um, a genius to think about how one was going to shoot that uh, moment. There are certain moments in films where you know that you're going to eventually be in a close-up and it's often a question of how you get there, whether someone is 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 moving into the camera or the camera is moving to them. Um, but this was much more about the circumstances of the moment because we were in Savannah, Georgia. We were only miles away from where slaves had been enchained in caves during the slave ships and the slave trade. It was a city in which there was still um, you know uh, all sorts of vestigial uh, uh, remnants of the of the, the the racism of of the South, and um, so there were ghosts, and there were there were this there was this feeling, as you said, about trying to set shoot this scene in which a white man is going to whip a black man. That's going to evoke all sorts of of, of emotion and not just for the actor, but for the man doing the whipping and for everyone around it who's watching. And so, you know, there's never been a single moment of film that I have shot with Denzel Washington that has not been usable. It's never a question of that. It's never a question of, oh, that's just wrong. It's a question of nuance or it's a little bit like, you know, if you've ever driven an incredible high performance sports car and all you do is you touch the wheel a little bit, and the car goes screaming around a corner. That's how available and sensitive he is to things, and what he what he can do. So, like the character, he was determined to defy the the authority that was and the punish, punishment that was meted out to him, and he was not going to reveal himself and reveal the pain of what was happening in that moment. And we shot it once, we did one take, and it was great. I mean, it's never not great, as I said. But I realized that that there was more, and the more had to do with the moment. The more had to do with the moment of, of this very proud man being subjected to the humiliation of being subjugated and and and, and having punishment meted out to him in front of all these people. So there's a meta in that. And how do you deal with that? And one way was to, as often happens in a set, if a director will, you'll change something a little bit so that the first things are happening for the first time. You'll move a prop a little bit so he's got to reach another step to get it. Or you'll do something so it's not routinized. And so I suggested to John Flynn, who was doing the whipping, that he just not stop and that it wasn't going to be after three whippings that the camera was going to push in, but that maybe it might be four or five or six. And the majesty that is Denzel Washington is not just what he arrives at, but he is combining a real moment where that control is being taken away from him on the stage as an actor, but as it was as a man, and yet all the while he feels this emotional thing happening. And he also knows that that's what the camera wants. And he's going to be able to stay in that moment of concentration to, to make that happen. And all of these things are happening at once with a with the camera moving in to within a foot of his face to get that close up. And the beauty is that it happens. And I'm, present enough to w- know him and to see it happening and to give the right cue to the dolly grip as to when to move in, and that, that that this is one of the beauties of the movie gods, that that camera happens to arrive there at that spot as that thing is happening, as the light manages to hit it in just a way, and it's in focus. Because remember, we're shooting at a time that's there's not there's not a monitor that's getting that right. We're just either getting it or it, or it isn't. And I also know that we're not going to do it more than once more. And 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 yet there it
3: was. I get so much anxiety when I think about the pressure on a, on a focus puller. It's so funny oh you mentioned that. God. Oh my god! Antoine Fuqua told me a story when Denzel ad libbed the King Kong line on the set of Training Day, and he said his first fear
0: was. Please tell me that was in focus because, to your point, you're not getting that again. No, no. And then, and, and what the camera loves most, it's not just when something seems to be happening for the first time, but when it is happening mm. for the time that perfectly leads into
3: what, what is a bit of a, f- a follow-up example, but, but to ask a bigger question, because you talk about capturing those little moments, mm-hmm. and sometimes you know, but if you, I, I've seen a million sort of movie montages of great classic movie moments, and inevitably, a lot of them have the Legends of the Falls, Brad Pitt, hat, little <laughs> tip, where like the water sort of splashes off the tip of the hat, you know? It's such a great moment, but it's such a tiny moment in the context of what this big, beautiful, epic film. I want to sort of compare... Do you? I guess the, the bigger question is, is are there moments that have become iconic in your films where you sort of go, like, look, you look at The Tear and Glory and you go, yeah, of course, that's, that's that moment. But do you ever have moments where as a, as a filmmaker,
0: as a storyteller, you go, really? Like th- that shot, that's the one? I think, I think if you, uh, I, I would respond by saying if you try to plan those moments, they'll never happen. It'll, it will inevitably feel forced it won't have that breath of life thing that's happening. And, and that is, that is the beauty, which is that it's, it's a simulacrum of, of life, but it's not life. And yet what you want is some honest, uh, idiosyncratic, uh, present moment to happen. And that's what the camera is going to love. And I think when you look at those, that montage, um, of all the other of all the other movies, I'm sure that those directors um, were not necessarily aware that that moment was happening as they filmed it. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of the the line
3: that you know. Anytime you you do a junket or you ask about a line or a moment, that that seems to be the the the, the constant, that the common thread, which is like you never know, you never know. And to your point, you can you can tell when directors I think are are trying to force it. I want to ask the question that I think Sean was trying to ask before he got cut off. But uh, this book for for so many young filmmakers. Uh, is going to be a, a blueprint in terms of different directions to go, warning signs and, and lessons to learn. I'm sort of curious what you had uh, at the beginning of your career. What what was that, uh, or or did you not have anything? Is there a moment where you wish you had had something like this? Well,
0: the first thing to say is is that I do have an agenda. I do feel that there's something that that there's a a certain set of values in movies that I um believe in that I felt that I was privy to and that I tried to be a proselytizer of and that maybe some of that will reach uh, younger filmmakers. Um, and and yes, there is a cautionary about the bumps and the valleys uh, that you're going to hit and how one deals with them. But the question you're asking about what I was given um, I was given extraordinary um, benefit of being in the presence of real artists at a very tender moment. And the first person that I was able to watch as a 21-year-old was Woody Allen when he was making uh, Love and Death and then reading the script of of Annie Hall. I then went to the American Film Institute where I was in the presence of a man named Janos Kadar, a man who had been, uh, at the Prague Film School, a teacher of Milos Forman and Ivan Passer, and a great filmmaker himself, and a woman named Nina Fosch, who had been um, an Academy Award-nominated actress, who had been an acting teacher and a de- disciple of Uda Hagen and Stella Adler. And then, even as I first came into the business, I was introduced and, you know, it- admitted into this lovely little uh what is a this kind of coterie of of directors much older than me who were the great lions of the business it was Paul Mazursky and it was Sidney Pollack and John Frankenheimer and Mark Rydell these guys who extended themselves they I was on a committee with them when I got admitted to the academy and they were available to talk about their their experiences and that was important but even more important probably were these people who are not obvious um an ad named skip cosper who had been the ad for uh deliverance and for uh heaven uh heaven's gate or, or i'm sorry um days of heaven uh uh a, a dp you know john toll who had been conrad hall's operator and oh and, 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 uh, Jordan Cronenworth's operator, uh, a, uh, uh an extraordinary special effects guy named Paul Lombardi, who's a son of, uh, the man who had done the, uh, the effects for Apocalypse Now. Oh. I mean, I was, I mean, I was literally, um, uh, oh God, uh, um, I could go on and on costumers and, and makeup people and, Dolly Grips and, you know, people who are so full of the knowledge and history of film and and not not just that, but the actual execution of film. And I was I was unafraid to make an ass of myself and ask stupid questions. And I did. And I was determined to learn what they knew so that if I knew their jobs, I would be able to better do mine. And 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 so I I very quickly came to understand just what people mean when they talk about this being a collaborative business. It, it, yes, there is somebody saying, go this way. And someone's got to say that. But any number of the people on that group um. Know as much as I do. Uh, Increasingly now, these days, where half of them or maybe three quarters of them have all been to film school, and 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 so that there's a real um, set of traditions of how you behave, of how something like you know what what's a protocol? How does how do things like this happen? How do you how do you solve problems? And it's 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 all there. It's it's like this. Moving graduate school because you don't learn it all in film school. You learn it by making ridiculous, humiliating, mortifying mistakes. I, then, I work in
3: journalism. I, I always tell people the same thing. You're like I learned more in my first week in a newsroom than I did four years in college. It's, and it's not no slight at uh, the college experience, but there's just certain things you can't teach. This episode of Real Blend
1: is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force.
3: Because one of the things I love most about this book is how honest it is, um, for better or for worse. And uh, one of the most honest chapters, and we're all chapters, I think, is your chapter on uh, Shakespeare in love, and love and particularly what happened Oscar night. Uh-huh. And the question I want to ask isn't necessarily about that night, but when you put it out there, I'd imagine that's not that's not a story that you want to tell every day for the rest of your life. But when you put it out there. Uh, it, it's it's basically opening up complete strangers to go, well, you wrote about it, so talk to me about it. I'm sort of curious mm-hmm. about uh, the chapters that were tougher to tell. I'd imagine that one uh, mm-hmm. in, in regards to people's permission or, or, or this right that they feel to then dive into it and
0: ask you about it as freely as they want to. Well, I mean, look, I've for 40 years, I have been writing things that are personal, that are subversive, that are provocative, that are whatever. And I've had them put in the mouths of other people, these very beautiful people, well-lit, well-costumed over there. And there's been a veil that's lifted, that's been there in place, a kind of Chinese firewall that's there, that's protected me. And it was not easy to say, I'm going to go into the first person and I'm going to expose myself in this way. But that made it into a creative, worthwhile experience as an artist to say, can I pursue the truth? Can I try to examine what authenticity really is when I've been so determined to get authenticity from other people? Can I find it from myself? And so I decided or i just committed myself to be as revealing as i was able i'm sure there are limits you know you talk about the like the octane of gasoline well what's the percentage of 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 of, of what is the octane of, of of gasoline you know it's not
1: 100%
0: because the truth is if it was 100% we would be bored it would be it would be a you know a book that 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 just was endlessly scrutinizing and and not entertaining so it's a balance that i'm looking for but i um i i felt that if i was true about the things that are more revealing personally it would lend credence to those things that were revealing about other people
3: i i respect that and, and as someone you know I, i'm a journalist who believes that not every story needs the other side of the story and quite frankly when it comes to Harvey Weinstein and his involvement on Oscar night—I don't really give a shit what his side right. of the story is. So yours is right. good enough for me, if you don't mind right. me saying. Um, right. I am of the belief that uh, Tom Cruise is one of our great actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love Last Samurai. I love his performance in Last Samurai. Um, and as much as I appreciate this era that we're in of Mission Impossible and Top Gun, and, and trust me, I'm I'm there opening weekend. I've done all the junkets. I I love it. There is a part of me that misses that '90s, even even '2000s tom cruise where i felt like it was less the franchises and the stunts and more like the these meaty characters and performances which you got out of them i'm just sort of curious do you feel like we're gonna
0: ever go back to that tom cruise or do you ever want to see that I mean, tom I, cruise again I, I think he has changed it up at different times you know he he tra- he made that movie um about the uh the uh drug runner um uh, oh Amer- american made american made um i i think that you know, he's clearly a um, an entertainer and he wants to uh, be there for his audience and he feels the audience changing. He anticipated that change Two actors who one was Tom, the other was Denzel, who suddenly started making The Equalizer. You know, he they they they're smart businessmen, too. They're they, they have their nose in the wind and they sense what direction they should be going in. But I also think that he may not be getting those same scripts. There are fewer of those scripts written for for someone. Um, And and the more persona that you take on, the harder sometimes it is for others or for you to think of the departure from that. And um, I know the reservoir of ability and feeling that are in him and we've seen them before, they don't disappear, they don't go away. And in fact, the experiences he's had in his life with his, with his marriage, with his children, with things like that, they will only have deepened him as his instrument goes. Um, I would, like you, hope, that we'll see more of that too, because I think we, we even as he's done this great stuff and, you know, it's helped save the movie business, mm-hmm. uh, he, 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 uh, he, he has more than that to give.
3: Absolutely. Um, you have directed so many incredible actors to, to Oscar nominations, and in some cases, actual Oscar wins. Um, but I'm sort of curious, this is gonna sound weird, if any of them surprised you in the sense that, I remember um, the morning that Leonardo DiCaprio was nominated for Blood Diamond. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was like the year of the Departed. That was like you yeah. uh, know, you know, everyone woke up thinking that the entire cast of the Departed was going to be nominated, uh, including Leonardo DiCaprio. Were you surprised that morning that he got the nomination for Blood Diamond over the
0: Departed? You know, I try not to think about things in those terms. I know mm-hmm. that sounds silly, but you really don't. If you start, if, if you're thinking about awards. About your own work or somebody else's work, you're 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 thinking about the wrong thing. I, I um, I I loved his work in The Departed. I mean, it was really great. I believe though that the challenge, that the bar, might have been higher, to do the part that he does in Blood Diamond than it was in The Departed. So I think, you know, if, if if you were judges for, you know, at a, an Olympic event, and you were having a degree of difficulty about a particular dive, I think it was a high degree of difficulty and that might've been the difference, I don't know.
3: Ah, that's interesting. Um, you know, it is pretty interesting to think about how many amazing actors you worked with near the beginning of their career. And if there's, there's one thing, I hate to, I, I don't mean to keep comparing your industry to journalism because it's apples and oranges. But one thing I do tell interns um, whenever they come through is to just be nice to everybody because uh. you never know that that person who you're, you're talking down to could end up being your news director one day. So I'm sort of curious about this idea of uh, your work with young actors and, you know, never knowing who's going to sort of uh, blow up and, and what advice you would give to actor or to directors, to filmmakers working with unknown actors especially because as you've seen in your case you never know who's going to be the next matt damon or the next denzel or or whatever the case may be
0: well you know the first thing as a director you you come to understand is that there's no movie a a movie is no better than the smallest part in it literally that one one bad supporting actor, one bad day player can ruin a scene, a scene can ruin a movie, and so the attention that you pay in casting those people is as great as the attention you pay in choosing the movie stars, so that you will have already spent time reading actors, even for a one or two-line part, because you want them to have all of the qualities that everybody else has in the movie and 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 i guess what that means is that that you will have submitted the the acid test to every actor who's coming before you in the movie in other words you won't have treated them any differently than you've treated your movie stars you will have really endowed them with a sense of character and a sense of behavior and 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 really and attention because that's where the movie stars were when they began, you know, a movie star is that, is that day player who's just starting just, it happens to be, you know, several million dollars later, but it's, it's, it it is that thing. So, so when, you know, when Matt Damon walks into my room to cast or, you know, when Claire Danes was 13 years old or Evan Rachel Wood or any number of people like that, um, you sense it, and you sense it also in young actors. Um, uh, I think I tell the story in the book about Brad Pitt doing a one-day part on 30-something. And he walks on stage and, and all of a sudden, people are kind of going, who's that? What is that? And, and And how do you describe that thing? How do you describe that movie star essence, that charismatic thing that radiates the things that come from, from inside and yes it's the it's the um it's the play of shadow and light on a face and yes it's what the skin is like and the eyes but it's more than that and and you know it when you see it and a lot of times you know it in just a, a day player um you may not ever be able to get more from that cuz they're only supposed to be on the scene for you know a couple of minutes but it's there.
3: On the flip side of that, you ha- also have worked with legendary actors at the height of their careers. Uh, I think of you know you worked at you know you worked with Bruce and Annette Bening and, and you worked with Sir Anthony Hopkins. Um, you, you mentioned trepidation. Has there ever been a moment where you've been weary of giving notes in that regard, or is it just a like, listen, I got a job to do, you got a job to do, and we got to meet in the middle?
0: That's a that's a fair question. I mean, there everybody's different. Um, you know, a lot of actors absolutely want to be treated. A lot of movie stars want to be treated as actors. They know that there's something you can give them and they're interested in hearing about it. And, and they let you know that very, very easily, very quickly. Um, there are others. You learn the other lesson <laughs> you, you presume to try to tell an, an actor something and you'll get this kind of um, uh yeah, you know, like they don't want to engage. They want to do their work and the work that you've hired them to do, you know, is going to be great. Uh, the problem is maybe if you get someone like that, who thinks that they know what they're doing and that they're great at it when they're not getting the thing that you want to have happen. And I can think that's only happened to be once or twice with sort of really experienced actors and it's awkward. It's really awkward because you're you, you you certainly don't you're not doing it publicly but even so there's an issue of pride and ego that you come up against and you don't want to you don't want to have them shut down to you with this notion that maybe you're in some sense denigrating what they do but to try to communicate that what you want is slightly different.
3: I, I'm going to cut you loose by sort of circling back to the beginning, if you don't mind, because I'd love to talk really quickly about your work in television, because sure. you mentioned uh, 30-something. Um, you know, you think about all the great stars that we got. You mentioned you mentioned Brad, but you think of, you know, like Tom Hanks came from TV, and, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio got, got his start in television. And these days, it's no surprise whenever, you know, you, you look at TV credits and see, you know, an Oscar-winning director, you know, taking on an episode. But I feel like when you were doing it, TV, please correct me if I'm wrong, but TV was almost looked at as like a lesser art form. Uh, times, I feel like, have, have changed, obviously. We're in a completely different era. I'm just sort of curious at how you feel about the direction TV has gone in and the importance that that, that you had working at TV early in your career.
0: Well, there, there, there are two separate questions. Uh, the second one, first, I the first movie I made was called About Last Night, which was about young people and love and sex, and it was... You know fun and comic and people in rooms talking and the second movie i made was glory i could not have made the second movie had i not done 30 something in between and shot 40 hours of film where we were writing it and shooting it and cutting it and scoring it and it was like a musician coming to get better in the the fingering of a of a of a of, of an string, stringed instrument or the or, or the armature of a, of a of a of a horn that it was about learning chops and 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 I would analogize it to to looking at IMDb in any director's career that you really admire, particularly in the olden days, George Stevens, um, John Ford, uh, Howard Hawks, all these guys they did. Twenty or thirty two reelers. They did Harold Lloyd comedies. They did um, Buster Keaton movies. They did the Three Stooges. I mean, they they were the Marx Brothers. They they shot film, and they learned with every foot of film that they shot. And for me, and this is one of the ways that Sidney Pollack and I really found common ground. He began in television. He was a, you know, uh, he shot Gunsmoke and he shot, uh, oh gosh, uh, I don't know, Naked City. I'm making these up. He shot a lot of, you know, television. And and the same thing was true for Frank Pearson. Uh, And the same thing was true for Mark Rydell. And the same thing was true for uh, Sidney Lumet. You know, these guys were uh, guys who had had to solve problems and do it quickly and learn you know, the craft at a smaller scale, so that then when they have the opportunity to raise it to a bigger scale. One problem I think is sometimes a kid makes an independent movie at Sundance and he's shot two hours of film and then he gets a job to make a movie with many, many millions of dollars and big stars. And it's a very difficult transition sometime. Now, people have done it great, you know, but others haven't.
3: That's I I could talk with you all day, um, Ed. Seriously, the book is phenomenal. I urge I, I I cannot stress enough how much our audience is is your audience for the book. Um, I know you have an insanely busy day. I could I could talk to you well, all day. Um, I, I'm sorry you got stuck with me i Sean nah, ended up I'm having I'm, tech please issues. Please apologize
0: to your partner for for. Uh, uh, I'll meet him another time. Uh, listen, it means a lot because there's not a lot of money in marketing books these days, and the way that we're trying to sell a book is exactly like this. So everything you do on his behalf, I really appreciate. Thank you.
3: Absolutely. Well, we got your back hundred percent and thank you for telling stories with me for half hour, man. I really do appreciate it. It's a real honor. All right. Take care. care. Bye guys.
2: Thank you so much to Edswick for coming on the Real Blend podcast. Again, just go over his filmography, guys. I mean, he's had a number of incredible films, Uh, Glory being one that we talk about all the time, Blood Diamond, another one with Leonardo DiCaprio. The chapters that he writes about collaborating with Tom Cruise are inspirational. This is one of those really great behind the scenes, deep dives uh, into a filmmaker whose movies you've grown up on, essentially. Uh, And he gets very candid in terms of the struggles that he had of putting them together, uh, how he would go from these high highs to some crushing lows, which just come with the industry. Uh, So make sure you pick up this book again. It's called Hits flops and other illusions by director ed zwick and boy are we happy to have him on the show Uh, keep it here on the real blend channel make sure you hit subscribe and turn on your notifications we have new episodes dropping every friday morning that have interviews very similar to this as well as our commentary on the ongoing activities in the movie industry Uh, i'm sean o'connell i'm joined as always by jake hamilton and kevin mccarthy they'll be back on the main show with me coming up soon so we will talk to you guys down the road